0: And welcome back to the Book and Life podcast and this is a guest I have been dying to get on and I know I'm going to butcher her name and I'm going to apologize to her before that but today we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects. I do all know what it is so that's giving you a hint but before we get into that I've got a little blurb from Marianne Curley for you guys all to enjoy, and it's the fourth book in the Time Guardian series, and it's called The Shadow. The battle is over, the war is won, the prophecy completes, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss and odds with friends in the guard. He finds himself adrift, jumping at shadows, and sensing someone who can't possibly be there, blaming herself for the goddess J- Lathena's death, just elsewhere's revenge and vilify the immoral's plan for world domination. But Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart, or the strings of a goddess, short on praise, but high on expectation? Who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order bow through the past and into an impossible future, darkness lurks around every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend? Our foe, who stands in the darkness, and just a reminder that uh, Rosemary Row, and the author of the Prince, the Price of Freedom, from her Roman British crime series, is donating her entire um, portion of royalties to the Ukraine Refugee Fund, and so is her agent donating her commission. So please be aware, uh, please check out The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Rao um, to see what you can do to support a country desperately in need. With that being said, we're going to talk about, oh, things that just makes me so happy. So I'm not going to screw up right now too badly, I hope, but please welcome Maya Amwa. Did I get that right? Amayao. Um, yeah. Okay, I was close. I was close. <laughs> God damn it. I, you know I was practicing that all morning?
1: Don't worry. I'm one of the people who I don't care if people pronounce my name wrong. I know it's difficult Woo. and I'm not going to get mad because I'm bad at pronouncing names. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm Crystal Fleming. I used to be Crystal Bane and I had to kind of teach kids to say my name. And it was so funny because I'd always get Crystal Or <laughs> <harsh. laughs> Miss Payne. Because they would always pronounce the B as a P. So I'd get Miss P. So at least with Fleming, it's not as bad. I get Fleming, or Flemon. Flemon's a new one, actually. So yeah, when I was working with kids, it was always always interesting. Uh, So when I get people's names wrong, I still feel bad. Don't feel bad at all. I know,
1: if you've never heard a name before, how are you supposed to know how to pronounce it? You know?
0: (laughs) Exactly, yeah. And when I was dealing with people in Hollywood, oh my gosh, if you got their name wrong, it was, like, scandalous. Right. Scandalous doesn't even cover it. So I always say to them, look, if I butcher your name, I'm really, really sorry. But, you know, it's, it's life. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. So Hollywood lifestyle, I, I swear, is not fun. Not for everyone. That's why I like Scotland. So I have to say that having you on for when it all syncs up is just a dream come true for me. I know it's this is your debut novel... I know i'm one of the first people to interview you but i saw it you've already got four reviews you're five out of five um and everyone's talking about this on goodreads right now and everyone's really excited so can you tell us a little bit about it and what inspired you to write it and why did you choose dance
1: yeah definitely so when it all sings up is about a ballet dancer named Aisha, she's a 16 year old ballet dancer who is at a elite school and she's been doing ballet since she was like very small, like toddler type of thing. And she's just been very focused for a long time. And she's kind of realizing that there is some discrimination that she's dealing with within the ballet world. And that's preventing her from moving forward with her career. And that dealing with that has kind of caused some mental health issues for her. And she has to kind of take a step back from her goal of achieving like getting into an apprenticeship, getting into a, a great ballet like um, company. And she needs yeah. to take a step back and think about her mental health and like, why is she doing this? Is it because other people are telling her she should be a dancer or if she actually wants to be a dancer and kind of dealing with the trauma that she's faced with discrimination in that in that arena. So that's the main part of it. Um, So I love dance. Um, I'm not a professional ballet dancer. Um, It's a really hard thing to do. You have to be an extreme athlete. And I have severe asthma. So I do dance every day. And it's a big part of my wellness. But I don't do professional ballet. (laughs) Um, since It's It's hard. It really is
0: hard going. (laughs) I'll I'll give you that. I I never was professional. But I was professional street hip-hop. But we performed in clubs. So we used to make up storylines. And we would perform stories in the clubs. So sometimes I would be doing a dance lift on a bar or on a DJ booth or jumping off something and getting caught or thrown in the air. So it was very much like a contemporary hip-hop style, but we called it street and we called it flying because it was a lot to do with flying through the air and using our bodies to tell stories. Um, sometimes I got dropped on my head because my partner got distracted by short oh, skirts. No. <laughs> Oh no, it's, 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 it's hilarious. He, We're in this really, really dangerous lift on a bar, which means we don't have a lot of space. And this girl comes by and um, I swear the skirt was low enough we could see her knickers. And it was very, very short. And he could not resist.
1: Oh, he no. couldn't resist
0: looking at her. And one minute I was above his head and the next minute I went over his head and was lying flat on my back on the bar thinking, I hate you so much right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, dance definitely takes a lot of trust um, when you have a partner. And so Aisha's partner in the book is someone named Neil, who's her best friend. And um, they've always had a very close bond. Um, And so while Aisha is dealing with her mental health issues, due to like what's going on with like this discrimination ballet and wondering if this is like what she truly wants he's dealing with an addiction issue and she's putting a lot of her attention into helping him deal with this rather than focusing on her own issues for the i guess yeah the majority of the book she's doing that and then kind of realizing like oh like i'm dealing with stuff too that i need to work through and dealing with that through conventional therapy and then also through dance so even though dance has been something that's caused trauma for her it's also something that is is helping to heal her when she starts to explore um contemporary and and modern dance and that's how she's able to slowly figure out what she truly wants and what her her identity is
0: And I think that's a great um, story to be kind of not only covering mental health, especially after the last two years, but also to be kind of doing that story of it's okay to go find yourself. I think um, being a dancer, I knew very well that we were not expected to find ourselves. We were expected to play these um, larger-than-life characters and be something else other than ourselves. And. That, I mean, it took me a very long time to figure out who I was and not who my dance character was. Um, So I love that. I love the fact she's going on this journey and you're right. I mean, pain addiction, pain pill addiction is exceedingly bad in dancing as well as cocaine. So it's really good to hear a story of somebody not ending up in the grave, actually getting help from trusted friends because a lot of dancers because it's such a cutthroat business, they would just move on to somebody else. They wouldn't bother to, to stick around and put that time and that effort into helping someone. So I, I think that's amazing what you're doing. And I really think that's such a positive message to hear. So I'm very, very overwhelmingly blessed to have you on at the moment.
1: No problem at all. I'm really happy to be here.
0: And sometimes it's fun to explore ideas. So what, I know this sounds awful, but what inspires you, inspired you to write this? What was like your moment of, I need to write a dance book that covers all these, these issues?
1: Well, like I said, like, I'm not a professional dancer, but dance has been a huge part of myself since like before I can remember, like um, if I hear yeah. music then I'm dancing, like that's kind of like the main part of my life where it's just like, if I hear something, I need to start dancing and that's yep. how it works for me. So like even, like, that's kind of like the main, like, core memories I have as a young child of just like, I, if I'm somewhere, even if it's in public, if I hear, hear music, I'm just going to be up there just um, expressing what I want to express. So yeah. um, that's something that Aisha shares with me, um, but she kind of like went somewhere else with it. Like, I would say writing is like my main passion that I explored from when I was a kid, because it was just something yeah. that we did in our household. So Um, writing and dancing are important for me, but it's more like my main character is like, she's into dancing, that's her whole life. And then kind of dealing with like, what do you do when your passion is something that you've loved all your life, but it doesn't love you back. And you have to kind of figure out how to deal with that and how to make concessions of like, oh, like maybe I can figure out another way to get through um, people like passing me up for roles, Or, like, not thinking that I'm aesthetically fitting into a show so they don't cast me. Stuff like that. Um, And then, because that's, yeah, it's very, uh, you know, relevant to, like, the dance world right now.
0: And I I also think it's very relevant to publishing as well. Because, I mean, it is a case of not, not, you know, we all don't fit the same shoe. In, particularly in in publishing as well so if somebody's not essentially sold on your voice they might not necessarily pick you up and give you a chance so you know not every industry is going to love you back and, and I learned that the hard way in wrestling I was I, so I was dancing in nightclubs but I was training to be a wrestling writer which sounds really weird when I say it <laughs> Um, but essentially, you know, I was, I was training under Vince Russo and I was working with these wrestlers to learn how to write wrestling matches because I knew physically I wasn't going to be able to do it. And uh, that led me to understanding that their business really doesn't love them back. In fact, it hates them. And uh, yeah, and I felt that myself and I felt just totally. Uh, blown away by the fact that not every industry loves you back and not every industry is gonna understand you. So yeah, I mean I, I just love that element that you were able to include in that.
1: yeah, like even though i've I've never been in the professional dance world and seen that type of thing happen to me, it's happened to me in, in every other area of my life so I can still relate to it. <laughs> yeah and
0: I, I think it's a good way because you're you're encouraging people to um, self-expression. Hold on a second so I mean that's a really good thing talking to talk about to educate people about to do I think that's that's really awesome so where do you kind of envision your dream book going like where do you see it going and where do you see things changing in regards to that but do you have like a set dream you want to see it achieve or um has it already kind of achieved that goal for you
1: right okay so in terms of dance and uh dancers of color specifically black dancers um when i was doing my research i i was researching a lot about misty copeland um was at the american dance theater one of the first black dancers to be a principal dancer. Um, And also uh, uh, Michaela DePrince, who is uh, explicitly mentioned in the book, um, who is one of the um, most successful um, dark skinned black dancers um, in the world. So I know um, she's amazing. Yeah, she is amazing. So she's um, one of the main inspirations of my main character because um, she, Kind of like she's a dark-skinned black girl looking for inspiration, and she sees Michaela Cole succeeding, so she kind of has her as her inner like cheerleader, like, keep going, and that's kind of a consistent uh, theme throughout the book. So with um, even with Misty, she released an article like um, in 2020 um, talking about the fact that she was actually uh, taken out of Swan Lake at her company because they didn't want her in there because she wasn't fitting the aesthetic of Swan Lake in 2020 as a light-skinned dancer um so that kind of speaks to how severe the um racism in the ballet world is at this time it's really bad yeah yeah Yeah, so that's why I wanted to kind of speak to like Misty Copeland is a light-skinned dancer my character is a dark-skinned dancer and how much um resistance and barriers a dark skinned dancer would be dealing with at the same time to the point of like not being able to get an, even in, into a company. Um, so yeah, that's the thing. Of so, I'm hoping to see more progress. Like even my character's progress in the book is, I guess, speculative Speculative in a way because um, I t- she's a Canadian dancer. I, I haven't seen like a lot of like black Canadian Female dancers do as that well currently, um, because it's a very uh, tough market. Yeah, right. So I'm hoping it serves as kind of like a inspirational thing to like dancers um, these days who are like hoping that like the traditional ballet world opens up even more because um, the the National Ballet of Canada um, they have become slightly more diverse but I'm hoping to see even more of that diversity come through um, in the future especially for um, darker skinned dancers.
0: Yeah no I agree with that and I would love to see sort of a more equal kind of dance world arrive because right now it's very unequal you know we're seeing disabled dancers not getting the same opportunities we're seeing sort of my other minorities of dancers not getting that sort of Ability to break in and to really make a name for themselves. And I think ballet is going to be very much the last, I would say the last hurdle of inclusion. And I think that's because it's it's been very much uh, a symbol of privilege for so long. Yeah. And I, I, I hate saying that no, as a dancer, but, really. but it was. Yeah. You know, you didn't become the best ballet dancer unless your mom had couple of mills stuffed in a bank account somewhere because it was, you know, the dance shoes are expensive. The hours you put in is expensive. Um, you'd actually be surprised to see how inclusive the Scottish dance scene is because we've had some really successful colored skin dancers over here and minorities over here. Um, and it is growing and we're, you know, Scotland really promotes that inclusivity and equal equality to all in ballet, it's just in other countries they're lagging behind, and it's it's so sad to me that that's the case. And I'm really hopeful that we can kind of fix it almost in a way that makes it all okay, and that we can have this inclusive environment and a more open environment for for everybody to be involved in and everyone to really enjoy and share their share their messages. And I think we need actually new written ballets to 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 I think to achieve that so going into our book portion of the podcast this is the part where a lot of readers all get excited and I can hear them all clapping and saying yeah book recommendation time what book have you read recently that stuck with you the most
1: um a book I read recently that really stuck with me um so I I definitely am a huge YA fan, um, even though I'm not technically, like, a YA uh, person <laughs> anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. What I really love about YA and, and what compels me to write YA is um, just, like, the first. Like, I feel like that first experiences, I feel like, are very... Yeah. Um, I don't know. They're just exciting. You know, when you have that first love first crush type of thing or the first time or while you're realizing who you really are. Like, I think that's a really yeah. exciting time and that's what compels me to, um, you know, just read YA. So, uh, oh, I
0: get it. I mean, I'm 33 years old and I still love to read YA. And, but I think like my excuse when I, when I really think about it is because I spent my life growing up in hospital. Um, so before I kind of got out and I got into the dance scene and I, I kind of caused a bit of mayhem, I I lived in hospitals. So my first was really in the confines of wards, and that's a tip for a totally different environment than what normal kids got to experience. And in some ways, I didn't have that childhood because I was, just, you know, attempting to fight off quite a di- disabling and crippling disease. So I love going back and being able to read other people's first times and first you know, ways that they've kind of been able to put themselves in a book because you can't be an author and not put yourself in there, not put a little bit of your heart and a little bit of your soul and your passion and your love into it. And I think that when you're reading YA, you're kind of getting a glimpse inside of somebody else's life and and maybe what they wanted is their own first experiences. Um, So I love that too. I totally... I'm a YA fan. Honestly, if you could see my bookshelf right now. It's bursting with YA fantasy probably more than anything right now. Like, cause I love, um, do you do the book boxes? You know, like the ones yeah, that come probably. every month. I'm, I'm a fairy loot <laughs> subscriber, so I love them. So I have like the fairy loot comes every month and it's like my pick me up. So, because my, my disease has been really bad this last two years. Um, it's just like getting that through the through the door, and it being a YA, and knowing that I'm not gonna have to put a lot of emotion or energy into that book, and I can just enjoy it for what it is. Cheers me up no end because I don't have to think about like all the other struggles that I go through on a daily to on a day to day basis. Yeah. So I think it. I think it's sort of. You it doesn't matter what age you are. You can you can connect with it. On any level, I suppose.
1: Very true. So that's what it has always drawn me to YA in terms of stuff that's kind of evergreen for me. Um, Sarah Dessen, I've read almost all of her books, and she's read like, and she's written like over ten books. Um, they're all amazing. Like Along for the Ride just came out on Netflix a couple weeks ago, yep. but I remember watching yep. um, How to Deal like yep. over ten years ago when I was like not even a teenager yet. I think it was like nine years old. To read that. Like the two books that um, How to Deal were based on. Um, yeah. So Sarah Destin has always been a huge inspiration for me. Um, and at that time, there weren't really a lot of um, people of color writing um, books like that. So I'm just really excited to see a lot of authors coming up right now. Like Joya Goffney is a huge person that She's a huge author who's inspiration for me because she wrote um, "Excuse Me When I Ugly Cry," um, which which was a fantastic book. Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, She's she's great. So it really gave me that type of ceridescent vibe, but in a way that I could like personally relate to. So yeah,
0: and we all ugly cry. I mean, there's not not a girl (laughs) in this world that doesn't ugly cry. You know, because we all have those moments where we're just like, "Oh fuck it," mm, gonna let it go, and you just you you do you let go, and you just cry your heart out because sometimes you just need a good cry to let all of that steam out, and you can just get started all over again. Um, so yeah, no, I love I, that's why I loved it because I didn't feel so guilty about my evil, for my ugly cries anymore. Um, it's more I get. Do you ever get embarrassed when you cry and you end up with like? I have to go get tissues because I get like super embarrassed about my nose running. Oh yeah. No, I never so,
1: cry in public. Um, I'm yeah. like, it's actually very similar to my main character. And um, when it all sinks up, like crying, isn't like a thing, like as a dancer, she's just like, I have to be strong. I have to just be happy all yep. the time. So yep. I'm not completely related to my character, but in that sense of just like, we don't cry. <laughs> That's kind yep. of,
0: yeah. I mean, I don't either, but, like, there's those moments in hospital where you're just, like, everything gets too much. And you're just, like, I need an ugly cry. And I go into the bathroom and I, like, lock the door and I just, like, go. But then I have these moments where I actually stop just for, like, a second to blow my nose. Yeah. Because I I, I can't have a runny nose. I'm, like, the weirdest person ever. Like, me and my husband could have a fight. And if I've got a runny nose, I'm, like, pause (laughs) so I can go get tissue and he thinks it's so weird like it's the it's our kind of like our out for an argument almost because like he understands that I can't run a nose but if his nose is running he just continues on and I'm I have to then go get him one because I can't I can't bear to look I <laughs> can't bear to watch his running nose yeah I'm just like here um bless him he's six for two and he just yeah he does not not find me funny sometimes but on that one yeah Mm-hmm. so If you just had, like, endless amount of time, what author would you pick, past or present, to just sit and read and enjoy?
1: Oh, definitely Courtney Summers, um, who's a Canadian author. Um, Their most popular book is Sadie. Um, But I started reading them with their first book when I was 16, Cracked Up to Be. All right, okay. walked into a bookstore and saw their book. And bought it and then read it in literally one night, the quickest I've ever read a book. Um, yep. So, yeah, Courtney Summers, she um, just writes books about unlikable girls, admittedly, from her perspective. Um, girls yep. who are difficult, who aren't going to be, you know, a, maybe a little bit pal- more palatable, like, you know, Sarah Desson's protagonist, right? Um, girls who yeah. s- swear or who aren't like super happy all the time who aren't yep. willing to forgive super easily and are dealing with a lot of trauma. So definitely um, Sarah, sorry, uh, Courtney Summers is my favorite. Her, her first book cracked up to be it's very formative for me because while I was reading it, I was also writing at the same time. And I was like, yeah. Oh Characters can be this messy and like messed up. Yeah, and-
0: they can get mean. <laughs> and yeah, I, I swear she had an influence on Marie's world um, because Marie's so unlikable a lot of the time because she does things. And then you almost have to think, well, why? You almost have that moment of, oh, I know why she's done that. It's because she's protecting her sister or she's doing something for her dad. Or, do you know what I mean? It you have that kind of dawning moment. But for that first little while, you're like, fucking hate this chick you know, but then you realize, like, I always leave that little thread of, of realization for people to kind of pick up on with her, and she seems bossy, and like, she's a, she's got it all together, but and actually, she's a huge, utter emotional mess behind the scenes, like, she's mm-hmm. never dealt with anything, she's never figured out who she is, she's just always gone, not reacted to everything that's happened, rather than uh, get ahead of things and get things under control, so I love that, I, so actually, you kind of made me reveal a little bit more about Marie's world than than any of my readers have ever known before. So that's kind of cool.
1: <laughs> Love that. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's definitely yeah. Courtney Summers, all of her characters are very strong, um, like characters who know what they want and aren't afraid to say what they are feeling. Um. So yeah, definitely influenced by that.
0: Is there an author, past and present? like who you would say definitely inspired you to pick up your first book, but is there also an author who made you pick up the pen for the first time?
1: Oh yeah. So definitely, um, Catherine Applegate or K.A. Applegate, who wrote the Animorphs series. So I talk about the Animorphs way too much and people are just like, Animorphs are bad. Have you seen the covers? The covers are like the most horrific, nightmarish things you've ever seen. So for people who don't know, Animorphs is is about, um, it's like a sci-fi type of thing where like these like thirteen, fourteen year olds um discover that there are, are aliens who are trying to take over the world, but there are good aliens who are trying to help them, and the good aliens give them the ability to morph into any animal that they want to stop the bad bad aliens.
0: So I that- love that though. That's like that's an actual really awesome sci-fi compared to some of the ones that I've been introduced to, like somebody just get, I had to just do a thing on the dispossessed by Oslo. Mm-hmm. Lee gone. And I swear that went right over my head. I just <laughs> had no clue what an earth I was reading. So I'm always worried about sci-fi because of that. I always feel like I'm not smart enough to understand it. So I love when I hear one that I'm like, Oh, I, I get that. That's, that's a good series. Yeah. So yeah, um, were you're, you're kind of swaying me that way a bit more
1: definitely these were just like scholastic really short paperbacks that i was reading when i was like i don't know like 12 so it it was very accessible for sure um of course yeah it was accessible but i was just like i feel like parents didn't realize how dark these books were because it was just about like twelve or 13 year olds like killing aliens and like adults who okay so the aliens were taking over basically like very similar to stephanie meyer's book the host where it was a yeah. parasite that would take over humans, and no one knew that they were taken over, and yeah. um, I, Stephanie Miles def- definitely stole that from um, *Animorphs*.
0: <laughs> but I think so too. Like she gets accused of a lot, but I I cannot deny
1: that she did do that. I think quite badly. Did you yeah. actually
0: get her um, her latest one, Edward?
1: Oh no, I never actually read that. And I was obsessed with Twilight when I was a teenager, and I was don't just- don't read it. Seriously, um, I won't.
0: <laughs> I made the big mistake. Um, I was last year. I could do nothing but read. I was. I was stuck in hospital. I was in ICU most of it. And my husband picked a book for me, and fortunately he picked Edward. Yeah,
1: the midnight size. I never
0: right. ever. If you know what size Edward is, it's like the doorstop. It's 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 a big book. It's a chunky chunky yeah. book. And of course, he brought me the hardback version. So yeah, I had to try and read in a hospital bed but I couldn't lift my legs up and I couldn't like hold it with my arms because it was full of tubes and stuff so I had like pillows trying to read um, and it was just a thing it was just it was awful yeah. and I wish I could have just like gotten into the story and it being different and I really thought it would be different I thought it would have been more about Edward's life before Bella but it really wasn't it was about all those times he would disappear on her and it just, I felt really, yeah, it just wasn't, wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And I just felt very let down. Um, I love her, all her other work. And I think she's a really talented writer. Um, and we all have one bad book. And I think, I think, unfortunately, that was just hers.
1: Yeah, like, I remember, like, when Twilight came out, I was like 15, 16. So I was right in the yeah. pocket for to be fully into it. And then then seeing that it was going to be made into a movie and then it was Robert Pattinson who I was in love with, you know, it was a problem for me. Oh, it was uh... a problem
0: for all of us. I was like 20 odds and I had a partner and I've been with this guy for 14 years and I was so addicted. I, you know, like his cousins gave me them and they were like, you've got to read this. And next thing I knew, I read the whole three books and I'm like, what did you guys do
1: to me? Yeah,
0: it was it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot. And I was in my 20s and I'm thinking, wow. I had so many like thoughts on that book in like half an hour. It was ridiculous. <laughs> no, so when I, you go uh... to bookstores, what genre would you say that you're drawn to more? And this can, can you can like, because we all do it online. We always Google books online and we always look at bookstores online. So what's the ones you look at when you're online and what's the ones that you tend to to navigate to when you're in the bookstore
1: so yeah uh like i said i'm a big fan of young adults i've been that like um drawn more to adult romance recently so like talia hibbert type of stuff um like the brown sisters um that's been more interesting to me lately i really like happy books i have to say like even though like i like a lot of trauma and like stuff happening in my books but like even with like Sarah Dessen, how like there's a lot of dark stuff, it's like there's always something cute happening at the end. So that's yeah, kind of there's always a good
0: ending. Time. Yeah, yeah. I like that too. I think um growing up with Mills and Boone kind of changed that for me. Like I know it's I think it's Harlequin, they call it a side yeah. you. Um, but it's Mills and Boone here and it's just very much of you get this very traumatic Love story, and then you always get a happy ending at the end. And I was just always fascinated with them. And I started reading them when I was eight or nine, stealing them from my mother's drawer. (laughs) And uh, of course, they were not suitable for an eight or nine year old, especially the Melvin Boone Modern line, which was which was her favorite. Um, So yeah. Uh, i love I love the happy story at the endings as well, but I also like ones that don't give me an ending that's almost like a cliffhanger so that I have to go get the next one, because it gives me an excuse to read um, read series and i'm I'm huge on series reading, so yeah, I love that for sure has there ever been a book that you've picked up and you just wished you'd never
1: touched? I mean a couple like I feel like I'm not as extreme in my hatred for books as I was when I was younger like when I was a teen I read a bad book like it made me so angry and I wanted to tell everyone about how much I hated it
0: and I'm really glad
1: that I wasn't on Goodreads then so it could be used against
0: me (laughs) (laughs) yeah because you'd have like 50 negative reviews or something no literally yeah (laughs) yeah no I'm there I'm there with you
1: So I Uh, use like, Shelfari, which is, like, extinct now, and I'm just like, thank God no one saw my views for things, because now I'm in writing, and people who worked in those books that I didn't like might see my review. Like, that's just... So okay. so you'd
0: actually realize publishing is a very forgiving world so you would never got like ousted just because you did a like a bad review on somebody but I think they would actually probably appreciate your honesty because that's that's something that we don't get a lot of in, in the publishing industry is honesty you could can get some really uh good scam artists and con artists out there so yeah honesty is like a huge thing and and I think the more honest you are like you get a leg up almost because people tend to trust you more and want to want to see you succeed. So I would never worry about that. I think I think be honest about what you like and what you don't like, and and go for it. So we're going into the writing portion of this podcast, which everybody really adores and likes. How would you go about sort of creating your your angst moments, your your moments of darkness, and with the, your characters? Was there a particular thing that you did with the storylines? Uh, to get you into that frame of mind? Was it music, watching stuff? How did you go about creating those moments of, um, I don't know if this character is going to survive or not?
1: Yeah, so I feel like those are the moments that I think about first when I'm creating the story. Um, those intense I think
0: we all do that, actually.
1: Yeah, so I feel like for me, definitely, definitely music plays a huge part. And it was very special for when it all sings up because of the fact that like, even though I'm not a professional dancer and I've never done, like, professional choreography, sometimes I would listen to a song and then I would just picture my characters, like, performing original choreography to the song. And then it was just kind of like me, like, okay, I'm picturing this and then, like, let me just write it all down. So it was that type of... That's a
0: better way of doing it than being a professional, trust me. (laughs) It's much harder (laughs) if you're a professional and you're trying to write down your choreography. Because you can't write down the name of the dance moves. You have to actually describe what they're doing. So... You've got a leg up on a lot of us in that regard.
1: <laughs> I mean, it was a little bit easy for me because it was just like the emotional aspect of what they were doing rather yeah, than the technical aspect. Exactly. Which um, when I shared the story with people who were actual dancers, they were just like, I could feel the emotion of it, even though you weren't describing all the technical stuff. Um, yeah. So I feel like um, my love of dance probably translated to, to that and like the emo- emotional aspect of just like, sometimes, like, I have, like, very extensive playlists that have to do with very, like, very specific scenes. And, like, I know all authors have playlists, but it's kind of, like, this is what my character was dancing to in this scene and, like, what they were singing and, like, what covers they were doing. So all of that stuff. I've got that. Yep. I I have, I'm I'm one of those. I have playlists for everything
0: I write. And it's funny you say that because the playlist, actually, for Marie's World, I think it's over a thousand hours of songs. I have for three books because like I I never had the idea of scenes I wish I had your idea for scenes (laughs) so I've just got like I kept adding music to that kind of playlist for that series and and now it's like a thousand hours and I'm thinking holy I'm never going to listen to all that like (laughs) you know but you do end up doing it through edits and everything else if you keep playing the music while you're editing and reading and stuff so Yeah. But I love that. I I just love how you use that as your way of getting into that frame of mind. So, what inspired you to to add your voice to your style of writing? What made you choose your genre for you to add your writing voice to it? Like, what drew you to that genre more more than anything? To write, just just to write it.
1: Oh well, I feel like I definitely qualify as like a teen in my thirties. Like I. People yeah. probably if they hear me speak, they're just like, "Oh, that's a child." So that's no, like my. No, you're not the only life.
0: one. I get that all the time. I go to my mother in laws, and I have random people that come over and go, "Is your is your granddaughter Arya here?" Because I thought I heard a child.
1: Right. Yeah. So, 23
0: years old people.
1: There we go. Yeah. So that's kind of like my easiest voice to get into is a teen voice. Um, yep. I feel like that's kind of just like what naturally do me because I feel like a lot I feel like some people say that they struggle with finding teen voice. that that's never really a problem for me so that's why it's kind of like my natural thing
0: I love that and I think if you've got the same problem as me where people think you're younger than you actually are because you have one of those gorgeous faces that does make you look a lot younger (laughs) thank you because honestly I thought you were barely 20 and I'm like I was no. like, wait, if I guess at her age, I'm so going to get this wrong. And I was a bartender, by the way. So, like, I always think people are younger than they actually are. I
1: appreciate that. I, like, I'm trying to keep sorry up. So
0: I ID'd everyone. Oh. Um, but no, like, because, you know, when I first saw your picture, and I'm like, wow, she's really beautiful. She must be a dancer. Like, that was my instant That's thought sweet. when I saw you. And I was just like, wow. And she's adding her voice to the dance world. She's going to be one of my top favorites now need to stop wait, wait. falling in love with authors. Aww. I can't help it. Wait,
1: wait.
0: <laughs> so when you write, is it like a movie in your head or do you more see it like a jigsaw puzzle where you're kind of moving the pieces around to, to get the picture?
1: It's more like a movie because I'm seeing like all of the like dance um, numbers in my head. And a lot of yeah. the dance numbers inspired like a lot of the major th- scenes in this book, right? So it was kind of like i'm just seeing them i have like the people i fan casted as the characters and like they're just kind of like talking and exploring and that's how it kind of is for me
0: oh cool i I love that that is awesome like for for me when i write romance it's a movie but if i have to do crime which i haven't i haven't finished my crime novel but i'm getting there it's a very long arduous process but um it's very much like a jigsaw puzzle because you're trying to take all the pieces together to kind of create that overall big picture of the murder so it's very much i think it's more a genre thing like if you're in a certain genre it's movie based and if you're in a different genre it's very much jigsaw so i i I mean that's been my experience since doing the show i've I've interviewed you're my 24th episode so like over the 24 it seems to be that's the consensus of what a lot of people say crime writers always say kind of you know the jigsaw angle and then other you know more romance writers and YA writers always say movie so I find that interesting I find that that comparison very interesting I don't know if that makes any you know difference to you but I think knowing and understanding industry sometimes can help us um, lift other authors up. And that's what I really want to do with this is to lift up everyone and give everybody a chance to have their voices heard. For sure. So which character either that you've read or you've written that stayed with you the most or the longest?
1: Um, Probably Parker from uh, Cracked Up to Be um, by Courtney. Oh, Socrates. okay. So um, she was yeah, like I said before, um, the cracked after me was one of the, was the first Courtney Summers book I I read, and just seeing a character who wasn't afraid to speak her mind or like offend people or or not like just be a people pleasing type of person, um, yeah, as like a, a teen, um, it was really refreshing. Um, and it was kind of like refreshing to see like um a teen portrayed how like I actually felt as a teen, like we're like teens swear and they say really inappropriate yep. things constantly and it's we all do yeah right yeah. um and it was like you know when I was a teenager a long time ago it was kind of like oh that's you didn't see that you just um saw people being polite and friendly mm-hmm. and likable so mm-hmm. that was kind of one of the main characters that I, I really identified with
0: did you ever have like that moment and I know I've had it where you were reading a book and you were like this character is not even close to what a real person would be like and just oh, get yeah. so mad with it
1: yeah all the time like honestly like bella um in twilight like she, i don't know what was wrong yep. with bella but she seemed like really focused on edward and like had no goals of her own so that was a little yeah
0: bit- that bothered me too thank <laughs> you yeah. you are like the first person to agree with me since i was 20 <laughs> i am i am so happy ah <sighs>
1: Finally,
0: somebody with common sense.
1: Definitely characters like that have bothered me, for sure.
0: We need a sisterhood of common sense readers, where (laughs) we can be like, what the hell is this girl thinking? Like, is there any sense in this brain of hers? Like, yeah. That's just me personally. I like, I like uh, other people to be like, common sense. So, yeah. That's my little run over for the day. <laughs> Is there a character that you wish you could write more about that's currently in your book? Like a little side character that you think, mm, I really would like to write more about them?
1: Definitely. So the first version of When It All Sinks Up had three point of views. It was Aisha. Oh, wow. um, And her dance partner, Neil, and then her love interest, um, Ollie. So... Um, currently, I'm working on a companion novel about Ollie from his um, perspective. So I'm so happy to explore that because originally, like I had some of his, so much of his stuff in there. And then the one that I really would love to explore, but I probably won't have chance to, is Neil. Um, I never know. Perfect. You never know. Well, well, we'll see what happens. But like, uh, yeah, at this moment, I don't think I'll be able to to do that. And um, yeah, definitely. His voice, when I was first writing uh, The Three Perspective, was one of the strongest ones, so yeah. Yeah,
0: I have that problem. Uh, With Marie's world, every character has their own book. So Marie's got a whole series of books, because obviously she's the main character, but, like, Leila's got her own, and Edward's got his own, and Will, and all the characters have their own. But there's this guy called Harold in it, who's, like, the villain, but he's actually, like, this really misunderstood guy, and he drives me mad, literally mad because every book he's in I just want to write more and more and more about him because he's like one of these characters that sits in the corner and goes but what about me you know <laughs> and it's just like you're not in the scene <laughs> you know where you just want to throw them out the door and just like lock it um yeah he's he's that character for me um so I love that I love that when people can just like look at their whole characters as a, like a, a group and say, "I really want to learn more about that one there," it, I think it's, it's good because I guess the reader's excited and it means that they know that there's a lot more possibility to to the story than just just one point of view. What techniques have you found helpful, and what ones did you wish you
1: hadn't tried? Do you mean writing techniques?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, so when I uh, first started writing when I was a teenager, I was writing, um, and fan fiction, did not have any writing techniques. I was just like writing stuff. <laughs> um, yep. We've all and, been there. Exactly. And then I, st- I started writing original fiction. Um, that was like, um, not fan fiction, but very closely associated with, um, X-Men. Um, yep. so that's when I kind of like started, um, outlining a little bit. So I would just kind of like every week I would be like, okay, I'm going to write a chapter. Um, I'll do like a couple notes about what's going to happen and then send it to my friends. And that was kind of the extent of my writing process for a long time before after college. I was like, oh, let me just um, try and get into writing professionally. Let's see how this works. So um, I started writing a little bit more extensive outlines, but even for when it all syncs up. I feel like my outlines are crap. I don't even know how it worked out that this is a book now, Um, but people liked it. And I was just kind of like reading craft books along the way and got um, got into Abby Emmons, who is a YouTuber, who is a huge proponent of the three act structure. So that's kind of like what I've been using and what I went back to revise when it all syncs up. Um, So kind of like making sure you have like the Hook of the novel, and then going into like the inciting incident and making sure that all at the right places. So, kind of like making like I'm not a huge math person, and I, I honestly hate math, but kind of like realizing, like, so do I, yeah. So, math is a huge, important part of having a novel that people like. You have to hit yeah. those certain, um, like beats at a certain time for people to be like, oh, this is how a book works. So yeah, I've definitely been getting a lot more into that.
0: I've, I've, I've been doing this for over a decade and I just figured out beats like two years back. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I I completely understand. And sometimes like, particularly if you're learning technique as you're writing, I touch like the best way to learn it because you can then figure out how the beats fit into your voice rather than making your voice fit the beats. Um, it's it's tough, but it's good to know it and to be able to do it and to, to work that angle and actually understand it. So moving on to your life. Now, I know you've got a really fascinating life and I can't wait to share all this stuff with you. What is the first thing you do when you want to get de-stressed and you don't want to be thinking about editing or writing or any of that stuff? What is it that you do to just go, ha? Huh?
1: Usually I will put on some relaxing music. I'm a big fan of lo-fi. Lo fi just helps me focus, but then it also helps me relax when I'm like not trying to focus on anything. So just like yeah. any lo-fi thing on YouTube I can find that'll get me into a relaxed state where I'm not like super anxious. That's what I usually use. Or even like some like just straightforward like meditation or, or mindfulness music I can find. And yeah, I'm, I'm really into mindfulness and meditation. So, um, clearing, clearing one's mind is a difficult task, but I'm just trying to be aware of the thoughts that I'm having and not have them b- bombard me all at once. So that's yeah, kind of the same thing. It's so a good it's, skill to have. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what helps me get into a relaxed state and kind of relax.
0: That's really awesome. So what hobbies do you enjoy and what ones do you wish you had more time to explore?
1: Um, dancing. <laughs> that's one of the main ones, so I feel like, it's kind of like this underfilled unfil- thing of like, I have this character who's doing all of this amazing dance moves that I could never do in a million years, so I, mm-hmm. I love that aspect of it, um, definitely. Um, and then I'm also, I really like um, doing art sometimes, so like, I like to paint, I'm not good at painting, but I still like to paint, I'll do like uh, yep. little watercolors and stuff like that. Um, you know, Reading,
0: those are the main things, yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm the same. I do, like, paint by numbers and diamond painting and cross-stitch, and I do anything that's crafty that can get me away from writing just so that I can clear my brain and just... I always look on it like a plumbing issue. Like, I get rid of all the blocks and all the gunk and all the crap, and I just... So I have a fresh fresh way of thinking by the time I have to start again and and uh, get, get through the next bit, you know, and... I recommend that to everyone. Is uh are you like a super crafty person that you can like use craft as an escape or do you like you're not a crafty person at all and you just want to avoid it, but you do other things to like have that me time?
1: I really like crafting. Like um sometimes I'll do um like I I love Michaels. So just finding like really cute stuff with Michaels and like creating um, like cute things I can put on my walls like um, I, I that's kind of like my main thing like I'm not saying that I like I'm particularly good at it but it really um, gives me a lot of joy to create something even if it's just like something basic or like I watched a tutorial on YouTube about how to create a craft and then I did something oh, cool. that type of thing so yeah.
0: Yeah I'm I'm not very good at the whole tutorial thing so I kind of fall back on the things that my old grandmother taught me before You know, because she like grew up and she always wanted us to be very ladylike women. And so we got these really intense um, lessons on like knitting and sewing and washing and all this other stuff. Um, So, yeah, like I I tend to fall back on what she's taught me because I am hopeless with YouTube videos. (laughs) I never get it to look the way they do. So myself, I have a long term health illness that makes me slow down and appreciate the day. What makes you stop and smell the roses? What makes you just enjoy every minute of
1: of the day? It definitely ties back to mindfulness. So kind of like being aware of the moment, not thinking like, I have so many things to do, or like I messed up those things I was supposed to do and I didn't like how that turned out. And then kind of just focusing on the present moment and being like, hey, like I can breathe right now. I have a safe place to be. I have a quiet place to be. I have... This cute dude is hanging out here. Aw, little bunny. (laughs) Yeah.
0: For all the viewers at home, there's this tiny, cute little black thing that is now giving her cuddles and looking sweet and twitching his nose. (laughs) She would all be falling on the floor going, oh!
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I love it. Appreciating how, like, soft he is and just kind of like, you know, appreciating the moment. So that's kind of like what, what gets me to focus on, like, hey, you know this is yeah, nice, you're course. in it appreciate yeah,
0: love it, love it. it, appreciate <laughs> it never know what day it's gonna come yeah, no, I get that, and I think with my disease, because it's it's been with me my entire life, I almost thought of it as my best, that was my invisible friend, like I did I was a normal kid, I didn't have like an invisible friend that you create mine's actually existed inside my body so yeah. I couldn't get away from him. so like, I think that's so cool and That's why I try and appreciate the day because I know like my disease can make it more difficult than it needs to be. So what's your favorite place to curl up during the day? Is it like the garden, a cafe or a reader's nook? Where's your place to just go with your book and, you know, just to get swept away with the actual book itself?
1: Um, I'm pretty much a homebody. Like, I don't really love doing like nature exploring stuff. I'm not a huge camper or anything. So, I like to Neither go on nice. I, so walk. you're good. Yeah, <laughs> I like to go on a nice, nice walks. But I feel like if I'm feeling super comfortable, it's going to be like getting ready for bed, just cozy in bed, like reading what I'm really enjoying. That's kind of like my my nice little safe space.
0: That's my go-to as well. Like, I either read in the bath for four hours, and my husband's like threatening to like physically remove me or I'm curled up in the bed and he's trying to sleep and I've got my little neck light on and I'm trying to get through like just another chapter. He'll sleep through just one more chapter, you know, like, so yeah, I get that. I love that. Everyone's got to have their place to read, I think.
1: Exactly.
0: So we're at the final part of the game, the show, which is actually the word game. Now this is where all of um, my guests get anxious. And so do I, I don't know why it seems to be an instant reaction. Um, and all the like the listeners kind of get all hyped up because they always like to hear what our answers are going to be, I suppose. Um, and I actually gave you the theme of an English cafe, a really sort of fancy English cafe. I don't know why, it's just sort of like, kind of when I was picturing you, I just sort of pictured you sitting in high tea and having cakes and sticky buns and and just having that like really good time with you know the porcelain teacup and. The cute little lace gloves. I don't know why. I went back to like fancy English time. <laughs> I don't a, know how my head right. works. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, I, I think on it like a Bridgerton. We have our Bridgerton moment, I suppose. So your first word is sweets.
1: Okay. So chocolate croissants, my, oh. my absolute fave. Like it's just kind of like a childhood Same. thing for me where... Me and my mom would go to the bakery, we would get a chocolate croissant, and then we would go to the patio and like eat them. Yeah, so that's a huge thing for me. Chocolate croissants. Um, and then just straight donuts, especially uh sour cream glazed, which is kind of like a cake donut. Um yeah. that's just oh, it's my fave. <laughs> I
0: know, I know what you mean. So what about coffee?
1: Coffee, I I don't like coffee. <laughs> if I have a coffee, it's probably going to be, like, um, two-thirds milk and mostly sugar. <laughs> that's mine! Oh my
0: gosh, that's so cool! Like, I'm 90, like, 99% milk and then, like, a dash of coffee and then it's, like, three sugars. Right. Like, <laughs> like, people say to me, like, what's the point in adding the, the coffee at all, Crystal? I'm like, it gives it flavor. Milk, you know, gives it a little bit of better flavor. You know, she's and they're just like, it's just milk, Crystal. <laughs> So what about sticky buns? You know, the good ones that like have the caramel on top and they stick your
1: fingers together. Oh, yeah. Those like are reminiscent of the kind of donuts I like. So just like, yeah, I'm a definitely a big sugar person. So, yeah, sticky buns. It gets everywhere. Yeah.
0: You cannot (laughs) eat something like that and stay perfectly clean. Like it's supposed to go just like all over your face and your clothes and your hands. That's what I love about like good cream cakes. Oh, and actually, funnily enough, the next word is donuts.
1: Okay, so I've already given um, that I like uh, sour cream glazed. I like anything that has like a a, a nice like uh, jelly filling. Those are always oh, fun.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: So mm-hmm. there's in Canada we have Tim Hortons, um, which is like this coffee kind of like Starbucks things, but like Starbucks for Canada. And we have these delicious blueberry filled donuts. And they're, like, purple, and they, like, look like flowers. And those are some of my favorites.
0: Do you know what's so funny? You just mentioned that we have just gotten one open up in Glasgow. Nice. Like, <laughs> literally our first one here in Scotland. So you've made me go, mm, I'm going to have to get my husband to drive me there. Sorry, Ian.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely check it out.
0: <laughs> he's he's, he's going to hate me. He's like, would you stop coming up with places? <laughs> so what about Cheesecake.
1: Oh, yeah. So when I was a kid, I I did not get the appeal of cheesecake. But as I got older, one of my favorites um, of all time. Uh, I really like red velvet cheesecake. That's just classic perfection. Like, that's that's really what I enjoy.
0: (laughs) There is this um, growing up. I didn't get it either. Right. And then I went to my cousin's wedding and there's this little um, hotel in an island called Arkney in Scotland that has this Arkney cheesecake and it's Arkney fudge that makes the cheesecake and I'm just telling you it's the best I think I ever tasted in my life so after this I'll actually send you the recipe so you can try it but oh heaven honestly heaven in like a fork or a spoon or whatever you use just oh You could eat just, like, the base and then fall in love with it. It's that good.
1: I definitely feel that because chocolate cheesecakes, fudge, all that stuff. We have Cheesecake Factory. We only have a couple in Canada. There's only one. I am desperate to try that. Yeah. Um, The line is, like, you can't get a reservation. You have to just be there and wait for two hours. And it's all. Oh, jeez. Oh, no. Well, it it must
0: be worth it, though.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like um, it's a huge demand for us here.
0: What about freshly baked rolls? What do you think of when you think of that?
1: Oh, rolls. um, So um, I am from, uh, my ancestry is from West Africa, uh, specifically yeah. uh, Ghana. And we make these uh, sweet bread um, delicacies where it's kind of just like, it looks like a normal loaf of bread, but it literally tastes like a donut when you like bite into it and you just like dip it into oh, like hot wow. chocolate. Yeah. Um, So it's, like, you just take a hunk of the bread. It's not sliced. You just take a huge hunk and then you just, like, dip it in the hot chocolate. And it's just really delicious. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) That sounds amazing.
1: Yeah. It's referenced Ah. in the book. So you'll see that.
0: So, okay. Well, I guess you kind of answered this question. But uh, bread.
1: Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. That's definitely my answer. Um, Sweet. So, yeah. Sweet bread uh, from Ghana. That's definitely my favorite. And then I'm a huge fan of just like um just like really uh thick floury sugary breads in general um there's i love so many um, though yeah yeah and then also besides that just like grilled cheese just on a nice
0: grilled oh, cheese does yeah, not I get the good.
1: same on like a whole wheat bread you need to have white no, it yeah so, you yeah.
0: need a, i need a decent white bread for that yeah I exactly
1: totally agree. yeah <laughs>
0: Well, thank you so much for being on today. Uh, It has been an absolute dream and a pleasure. And, you know, we definitely have to have you back for when your second book comes out um, so we can talk about it. And I will be spotlighting it in our monthly spotlighting that we do. I don't know exactly when that spotlight will come out because I'm still still trying to get all like the calendar of stuff organized because like people don't realize podcasts take a lot to organize Mm -hmm. um but yeah i'll let you know when it's spotlighted and yeah you let me know when your second one's coming out and we'll get you back on and we'll talk a little bit more maybe even dive into your book a bit more because we won't be spoiling anything for anybody so does that sound like a plan are you up for coming
1: back to the book and life podcast definitely yeah for sure so my second book will be coming out in 2024 so after next year yeah definitely up for that
0: (laughs) yeah well hit me up when you know the dates and everything and we'll we'll sit down and we'll we'll get into it and we'll get into a lot more of the backgrounds and the dancers and maybe a little bit more about the writing styles and techniques you used for actually putting it together i think that would be awesome
1: yeah that sounds super fun thank you so much crystal this has been awesome (laughs)
0: not a problem so remember to check back next week guys as we've got another guest not as gorgeous but just as amazing so wait you'll not want to miss it so i shall see you all next week.